Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good Line Podcast. This is Aaron Salvato, and I'm here with my buddy, Joel Woo. Turner, the man. Good to be here, man. The myth. Woo-hoo. I just went Southern there. I have no idea why. Good to be here. All right. God bless you and your family. <laughs> I'm out here in Oklahoma, so it just sounds like... Are you like seriously in Oklahoma? I am. How do you, I've told you this like five times, dude. You know what? You know what? But you know, right? Everyone has weaknesses in their character, and memory is mine. Mm, okay. Honest. Well, Seriously, Adam. Seriously. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. It is, it's good to be here, and it's good to have you here. I'm in Oklahoma. You're in your rapture bunker in California. Yes, in so Calgary. Calgary, Alberta. I told oh, you this, too. Yeah, I Come know. On, man, I don't live in California. I just you know assume that. everybody's in California. Oh, please. Everybody. I actually thought you were in California. I'm in Calgary, Canada. Okay? That's Calgary, Canada. He. I'm looking at his bunker. video. He's in his rapture bunker, and there's just shelves and shelves of maple syrup, just as far as the eye can see. And, and blankets. look behind, man. Those are blank. That's what we do right here. See? Blanket, blanket. Mm. All right. Amazing. <laughs> Well, Joel, so the people who listen to the show, it's some Calvary mm-hmm. Chapel people and it's some people who are yeah. still, they're still like, what the heck is Calvary Chapel? So welcome all. Yeah. Why don't you tell us yeah. about who you are and your background and just what you're doing today? Are you wanting definitional of just me or are you kind of asking about Calvary? Which, no, 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 no. Not Calvary. Okay. We, we've covered right. that on other episodes. Uh, you just dealt can, with that. Can you okay. just take who the essence I? of who you are and just distill it into oh, a raindrop? Okay. I am. I am a jacked up, messed up guy in need of grace, brother. That's the first thing. I thought you were about, about to start with just saying, I am a jacked guy. Just, <laughs> I'm looking at his camera right now and he's just flexing. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Whatever. It doesn't matter, guys, but there's a little bit of tricep movement going on mm. here. Okay. So got saved running a comedy club in Western Canada. Grew up in South Coast of England. Started doing comedy from the age of five. It's not like, I'm not like proud of, I was doing comedy at five. <laughs> I don't mean that. I just mean my dad would wake me up to do stand, like comedy impersonations. You were opening at the for age of five. You were opening for Jerry Seinfeld at the age of five. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Amazing. Even though, even though nobody in England knows him. But hey. So anyway, we. <laughs> uh, so I grew up and uh, just really was into British humor and comedy. Started doing comedy at a young age, and then we, our family, moved over to West Coast Canada, and I started competing on what's called the circuit at mm. about the age of seventeen. Then when I was nineteen, inspired by the guys from whose line is it anyway because two of them are kind of guru mentors or were back in the day i wasn't a christian i moved to i moved over one let's say state but it's a province in canada same thing for you americans but (laughs) i moved over one province one state to uh another place to open a comedy club and i had this vision of planting comedy clubs across canada just crazy (laughs) and then basically i was dating a mormon girl again not a christian so that all that remains in this sentence doesn't offend you but (laughs) i was dating girl we were going to get married and uh, she was the director or the producer of the comedy club and the comedy club just took off like gangbusters but what happened was i broke up with this girl we broke up she dumped me okay let's just be honest she dumped me let's get real (laughs) and so i went into kind of you know like crying with sappy music listening to a radio station called silk fm do the math and uh, it was just a terrible season of life and then i rebounded i called this girl i said hey you know i want to go out tonight i'm thinking let's go clubbing you want to go somewhere and 
she says, well, I'm already going to this thing called Refiner's Fire. And I remember thinking, that's not a church, is it? And so she's like, it it is a church, but it's it's really cool. And it's full of young adults. I don't know if anyone listening fell for that, but I did. So I went (laughs) along. And at the time, I was a DJ for the radio station in town called uh, FM 104.7, The Lizard. And, (laughs) And I was a TV show host of a show called Around Kelowna, which was the city I was in. And I ran the comedy club in town. So I kind of thought like, man, I really don't want to, I just remember, I don't want to be seen at a church. So I told this girl I would go with her, but I wore dark glasses and a baseball hat. And Aaron, I sat down in the back row with her and I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. As the Italians say, I didn't want to be made at a church service. So I slumped down when the pastor came out on stage, about 200, 250 young adults. He walks out on the stage, looks out in the audience, sees me and he goes, hey, everybody, Joel Turner's here. And every head turned around. And I felt like Spurgeon did, I think, when he said that the hound of heaven found him. Mm. I just felt busted in that moment by God. And for some reason, it was just this powerful moment. Still to this day, I don't know, we're friends now, but I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you just call some, like, it's not a good practice for pastors. Everyone turn around and stare at the new guy. You know, like <laughs> we kind of moved away from those sort of things. So anyway, he took me out for coffee and through that and getting back in touch with the word of God and Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, I gave my life to Christ, walked back into the comedy club, called a staff meeting, had 20 comedians working for me. Wow. So look, I just became a Christian. We should all get saved right now. Aaron, I could write a book on how to kill a comedy club in three months. Literally half of them quit on the spot right there. These wow. are paid actors, wow. comedians that work for me. It was awful. And then, and then it was good training though for future church splits. So I'm really good at them now. So I can like, if anyone needs help with that, I'm like a master at it anyway. uh, So we went down to 10 comedians and then half of those comedians just stuck around to find out what would happen to their director. Like what on earth happened? You know, is this a phase and they needed the money? Let's be real. And they're comedians. (laughs) And the other half in some sense or form came to God church or just full on Jesus radical salvation. Wow. So I, you know, and then in one day my wife walked into that comedy club and, and, you know, she just wasn't impressed with any of it. And that was attractive. (laughs) And I, I took her out to the same church and I took her into a back room and prayed for her to receive Christ. So that's my wife, Tanya. So I got to lead her to Jesus, which is really cool. Mm. And uh, that whole story is in a, in a book I just wrote and she, yeah. And so that's my whole story. And that kind of launched me into ministry just because together we were leading people to Jesus. So, wow. That's too long. long, bro. That's beautiful. And it's, (laughs) that's, that's beautiful because I've known of you and I've known little tidbits, but I haven't actually heard the full story yet. So Gotcha. I, I just admitted I haven't read your book. I'm sorry. That hurts, bro. You brought me on the show. I'm trying to flog these things. Everyone <laughs> go joke, people. Go buy Joel's book right now. Stop <laughs> listening to this podcast and go buy that book. Christmas is coming. You can get them in groups of 10. It's the same price, but I recommend it. Atone for my sin of not reading it. I, I will. It's on my list of reading it. Uh, but Joel, how far down? (laughs) Yeah, man. I think it's I think it's beautiful. Uh, It's great to know you better. It's great to know your story. I would love to tell you a little bit about my background because as soon as I heard about you, one of the first things someone Mm -hmm. told me about was this is a guy in Calvary right now who's all about evangelism. And that got me excited because for me in youth ministry, that was a huge focus of the ministry that I did. 
So here's kind of my background with evangelism. Yeah, yeah. So it's something near and dear to my heart. When I was a kid, my parents said I was a natural born evangelist. You know, I was going around to everyone saying like, hey, do you know Jesus? Actually, my voice was a lot higher. It was more like, hey, <laughs> no, nope, even higher. Hey, do you know Jesus? That was me as a kid. And when I got to the teenage years, that's where things got awkward. Evangelism became awkward. And mm -hmm. I was a Christian kid in a Christian bubble. I was insecure about being a pastor's son. So I stopped being evangelistic when I became a teenager. And the thing was, I was never really around anyone who wasn't a Christian. I went to a private Christian school. I spent all the rest of the time at the church where my dad was the pastor. Um, and I was never around non-believers. And when I eventually became a youth pastor, you know, the, that trend continued. I was still constantly around Christians. And mm -hmm. I was teaching through the Gospel of John to these middle school kids, which was awesome. It was, it was such a great experience. But then I hit the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about, you know, the first followers of Jesus going and telling the good news, going out and spreading the gospel and turning the world upside down. And I'm getting ready to preach it. And one night I feel God speaking to me, which is that doesn't happen all the time. Like I don't get these very concise messages all the time. But once in a while, I'll get this strong sense from him. And I felt like he was saying, Aaron, you're about to go tell these middle school kids that they need to go and preach the gospel, but you're going to be preaching something that you don't practice. If, mm. if you're going to tell them Woo. to do this, you have yeah, yeah. to actually go and do it. And I was like, God, what are you talking about? Like, I, I talk to people about you all the time. <laughs> and he was like, no, you talk to Christians about their Christianity. You don't spread the gospel. And I was like, oh, like it was... <laughs> You know, for me as a young pastor, I was just like, oh, gut punch from God. So he was like, you need to actually talk to unbelievers and practice what you preach. So for the next few years, it began this journey for me where I started, I would always study for my sermons on the weekend. I started going outside of my office to beach towns and I would just go post up at a coffee shop and study hmm. with this attitude of like, God, who do you want me to talk to? And I remember the very mm -hmm. first time it happened, there was this guy who he was walking. Uh, we were walking in the same direction. We stopped at a, a stoplight, like at the corner. And he was like, hey, man, can you buy me a beer? And I'm like, you know, like 20 years old. I don't drink. I'm just like no, sorry. I just made up some excuse. So he started walking away and I started walking the other way. And then I'm walking and I feel like God said, go back and talk to him about me. And I was like, that is so cool. awkward. He started walking that way. I started walking this way. He saw me walk that, that way. If I come back and chase him down, yeah. it's going to be really weird. But I ended up chasing right. him down, told him about Jesus. He was super open to it. And it was this light bulb moment for me. So there was lots of moments like that. And so it, it became this thing where I just started doing it and it became a pattern for me. And it was terrifying to talk to strangers, but I saw amazing things happen because for every oh. 10 people that rejected what I was saying, there was one person who listened and received it. So I got hooked. I got so into 10%, it. I heard that 10%. Yeah, yeah okay. totally. That's a good return, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got hooked on it and it progressed to me starting to take my youth group kids down almost once or twice a month on the weekends to go and just preach the gospel to people. And we did it conversationally, which was really enjoyable. And so that that's, I'm excited about evangelism. It's something I've, I've, I've preached on it at camps and conferences for youth. And so that's why I'm excited to talk to you. And I'd love cool. to know more about your background on evangelism and just some of your core views on evangelism. I'd love to learn cool. from you about that. Cool. Like, you know, like, right. Do you have specific questions or just kind of off you go? <laughs> I've, I've got some specific questions, but I just, okay. I'd love to know first sure. off, just away. like, why are you passionate about evangelism? evangelism specifically. Sure. Well, I mean, turn the mic down. You know, because... <laughs>
first off, this life's not a main, the main event. If you're <laughs> listening, this isn't the main event. We are all in preparation for the main event. Hmm. So I'm just like, giddy up, yo. We have a short time here. This life, the Bible says it's a breath and then it's gone. We're just hmm. passing through. Hmm. We are a breath. This is this guys do not get your eyes fixed on this earth. Right. So the moment I got saved, it was a radical coming to God. And I just thought, well, if this is what it's all about and it's not the main event, what we're experiencing right now, let's get more people on the ark. So I would just say <laughs> urgency was mm. the people was the thing, you know, in the days of the flood, you know, when they had the ark, the flood was coming. Well, we could say the fire is coming. Let's mm. get like get before the Lord. And so I had this burning passion. I started reading about, you know, tons of evangelists like Whitfield and all these guys. And I just got so fired up. And I thought these are guys, you know how in James it says, man, uh, you know, we, we read these guys, these heroes of the faith in the Bible, even like, oh, Moses, oh, Elijah. <laughs> but in James, he says, Elijah prayed and, you know, it rained and then he prayed and it stopped raining. And Elijah was a guy with a nature just like ours. Like mm, it's God's yeah. way of saying we're all just dudes. We're all just guys and gals trying. Like yes. this is your generation. We're called to serve our purpose to this generation. If you don't step up and do what God's called you to, then he's going to pass the baton to someone else. But mm. like it says in Esther, we're called for such a time as this. So I would just forgive the preachiness, but I just, I can't, but get fired up. And I think part of the problem today is we don't have the passion mm. that we used to, but we don't need to be of a certain generation. We quote too many dead guys. Let's create our own quotes. We mm. need something going on in this generation where we can go, you know, I don't get me wrong. I love all the people that have gone before us. I'm just yeah. saying, we're always like, Oh, you know, Whitfield. Oh, Wesley said, right. I just heard a sermon. The guys like Piper said, I'm like, if I hear Piper one more time, <laughs> You know, I'm waiting for the Pied Piper to come around the corner. Don't get me wrong. Good stuff. Quote these good men of God. But you get what I'm trying to say? We need to create our own. This is our generation. Right. So all I'm Mm -hmm. saying is, is praise God for the cloud of witnesses behind us. Praise God for the testimony of the the, the saints and the people that, but this is our time. Mm -hmm. We need to be those that not just read about the successes of evangelism, but share the gospel. Take the hill. Take our faith outside. Recognize that the circles that you've been placed in are there from God, that Mm. there is no coincidence with God. He has you in your workplace, in your home, with your neighbors, your specific neighbors. God knows you can be a light to them. I just think God's chosen us for the neighborhood we're in, down to the neighbors that we have. Mm. This is our time. The Lord knows you guys, where you are planted is where he chose you. And, you know, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus, when he said, you are the light of the world, it's written in the emphatic. It means you and nobody else don't look around. So I would say that urgency and passion are things that are missing today. Mm-hmm. You know, books on evangelism, great. Sermons on evangelism, great. But if you're not evangelizing, what's the point in all the reading? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. We no. have to do this. Yeah. My emphasis is do it, guys. Do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was reading in a book and the author was talking about evangelism and he was saying there was a story of a woman that went to his church and she was sitting next to a coworker and she was she had it on her heart to go and preach the gospel to that person you know because this is her coworker but she just kept refusing to do it you know she she was too scared and 10 years went by and finally she showed up to church one day and her coworker was there and they got to talking she's like oh i've been like praying about sharing the gospel with you for 10 years and she was like awesome. i have too <laughs> and and so it was two christians sitting next to one another yeah. too scared to even talk to one another wow. and think about 10 years went by and if they 
would have just taken that first step to talk to one another, they would have found out they're both Christians and then it might have motivated them and encouraged them to yeah, go totally. and do it more. But we're so held back by the fear of it. I know. But uh, eternal perspective, you, you, you need to grab eternal perspective. It, one of the things that there's a few things that get rid of fear. Uh, prayer gets rid of fear because prayer is fire and that fire creates boldness. Check it through the book of Acts. It wasn't the acts of the disciples, like so many of our Bibles term it, the book. Oh, the acts of the disciples. See, acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. And it's mm-hmm. only in the book of Acts, starting after, you know, Acts at Pentecost. What do you see? They prayed, fire, <laughs> boldness, share the gospel. Mm-hmm. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be, not you might be or you choose to be. So I think like it burns out of this prayer and when i'm praying i get this fire and passion and this burden and uh and that burden is what motivates me to go and pray that's great do you have yourself like a personal methodology or philosophy of evangelism if that i don't know if that's too like high and lofty but you know like yeah actually so i do a lot of travel preaching on Mm -hmm. evangelism and i would say my top (laughs) because that gets asked a lot my top method or my approach on evangelism is that the problem with modern evangelism is method is is Mm. method and system if you will okay what do you mean by that break that down oh what do i mean well no i'm 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 asking myself rhetorically like so Mm. what do i mean by what i just said Mm. so what I mean by that is that we have so much method evangelism for ways to share your friend, to share the gospel with your friends, mm. friendship evangelism, the four laws, the four doors. We have way of the master. We, and I don't want you to misunderstand. And, That's what and I grew up say, on. My, my, know, my I, youth pastors took us out. We do. We did Ray Comfort, way of the master to learn okay, how to talk to people. Okay, and he had the, okay. the New Zealand accent, you know, he's all, hey, let's talk. Are you a sinner? Have you ever? That's good, bro. Have That's you ever, really good. Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated yeah. on your wife? <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. I mean, that's a lot like my French accent. But anyway, so <laughs> no, like I just want to say that here's what's happened in modern evangelism, mm. that I believe that the method evangelism has taken evangelism out of the hands of the layperson mm. in a lot of ways and put it into the hands of a select few or the professionals. Mm. And don't misunderstand me. There's some great things. And of all the systems of evangelism I just mentioned, mm. probably way of the master is my favorite of them all. Mm. But the one problem I had with trying to adopt or adapt a method evangelism, which is really the thing I speak against, I'll explain that in a minute again, but is the the one problem I have is that a lot of these systems are like this way works and this is the only way. Hmm. But when you actually look at your Bibles, no two people get saved the same way. And I Amen. couldn't Amen. reconcile the two things. So I was like, Lord, what is the only consistent thing? This is my big deal, if you will. Hmm. What's the only consistent thing on evangelism through the New Testament? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Wow. And so what is the secondary thing that I see? And and I touch on this a little bit in the book I just wrote, but I'm writing another one on evangelism, which I'm going to dive into it deeper. And it is, um, what is the second thing I see? And it's just boldness that is attached to prayer and the Holy Spirit. So Amen. my simple process is pray, be filled with the Holy Spirit, open your mouth with boldness and invite people to Christ. So you, you, and if we get people back to that, then they're going to have stories that are completely different. And look at yeah. the stories in the Bible. They're all different. Take Philip, for example, right? Like, I mean, you wouldn't leave an evangelistic campaign where people were getting saved to go to the desert, but the Holy Spirit says, leave here right now hmm. and go to the desert. When he goes to the desert, just by obeying, 
then God goes, okay, run alongside that chariot. That's weird, yo. <laughs> like, why would you run next to a car, you know? But he does it. <laughs> yep. And then he goes, yep. like, get alongside where the guy is at. So there you go. You get alongside where the guy is at. You talk natural and swing mm-hmm. to the supernatural. I just said that for you because that's way of the master. But, and then invite the person to Christ. So mm-hmm. I think, again, it's much simpler. And so what happened is, is, you know, people from way back used to tell stories of just, yeah, I opened my mouth. I didn't know what came out. The Holy Spirit moved. <laughs> and then we got all these systems and they're like, oh, okay, I guess that evangelism is for the evangelist and not for me. But we right. need to get back to opening our mouths and sharing and trusting the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's that's huge. I think um, that's something I was going to bring up, the the reality of the Holy Spirit being so essential. Like we can't do it without <laughs> him. It's not our job to save anybody. It's his job. We're just the microphone and the mouthpiece. But, you know, and and prayer, you're talking about prayer. One of the things I tried to do when I led evangelism teams with the youth group, and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I, I, you know how every generation is kind of reactionary to the generation of the past? I kind of looked at what we did when I was a kid in the 90s and early 2000s, and I just thought, that's not going to work today. Like, in the postmodern world, I don't see me going down to the Oceanside Pier in California and asking with people, tracks. yeah, with tracks or saying, Hey, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? I just didn't see that yeah, working. Yeah. Yeah. So my reaction was to kind of rebel against the, the, even though it was good in the past, I, I, I tried to just teach my, my youth and my students, any one of us can do this. It's not special people. It's not the enlightened people. It's not the evangelist. We're, we're all called to do this. And so there was always people in our group who were more like me willing to talk to people. Then there was sure. people who were just terrified. They're like, Aaron, I will come with you, but I can't do it. I can't talk to anybody. I'm too terrified. And what mm-hmm. I did with those people is I said, hey, listen, you're the prayer team. Like all the whole, <laughs> That's awesome. the whole time while we're out yeah. on the streets, I want you and these four other people to sit at this table and just observe what's going on and just pray for us the whole mm-hmm. time. It's kind of like, you know, you know, the, the, the ship, you know, the old ship. And then you guys are the ones in the engine room, you know, throwing the coal on the fire. Like you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're the ones asking the spirit to help in this moment. And so I was trying to just teach everybody it's that it's good, man. You can yeah, be prayer involved. Is the engine room, right? Yeah. Prayer is the fire for what you do. You know, I'm sure you've heard it and taught it, but that great famous story about Charles Spurgeon's church, where mm. this couple comes yes. to check out the great Spurgeon and they meet the janitor in the basement. They're like, <laughs> tell us why Spurgeon's so great. And he's like, I'll show you. And he leads them down this dark room and opens this door. And there's like this gymnasium size room and like 250 people praying. And he's like, that's why Spurgeon's <laughs> awesome. And then they get into their seat. And of course, it's not the janitor. Spurgeon himself is the guy mm. that gets up on stage. So it was him that led him back and said, look, this is the engine room of what we do. And we have to remember that you can't separate prayer from evangelism or you just have methods and words or just overconfidence that you can go out and change the world in your own efforts. Well, I want to pivot over to some questions about evangelism specifically. I want to ask some questions about evangelism that are specific to my context, but I feel like it's relatable for a lot of people listening. So Perfect. For me, this has been one of the weirdest seasons of my life concerning evangelism because I live in Oklahoma now, which is considered okay. the, the Bible Belt. I remember. Okay. Yeah. Have you, have you ever heard that? The Bible Belt? Well, I have, but I mean, I, ha- I lived in North Carolina for four years and they okay. call it the same thing. So I can yeah. relate. Okay, great. So you'll you'll get this question. So a few months when I moved here or after a few months, I tried to kind of jump into my old style of evangelism, which, you know, the way I've always done it is just go out into the city and start walking and praying and asking God to show you who to talk to and then approach them and casual conversation. Just like you said, start with the normal and then pivot to the spiritual. 
But I found that like every time I tried to do that, the person I was witnessing to out here in Oklahoma was like, oh, honey, I'm a Christian. Come on down yeah, to yeah, my, yeah. come yeah. on down to my church potluck. You know, like just, I, I, was like, I can't find a non-believer. <laughs> it's crazy. So that's been the struggle. Everyone out here, they grew up in church. They know yeah. what to say. Yeah. They know how to, you know, like right. they, they know it. They know it. They know the lingo. I live in a town called Mustang and I kid you not, there's literally like a hundred churches in Mustang. Uh, it's a small town and there's, there's how many people in the town. Oh gosh. I, I don't know. I think like 4,000 or something, but there's, there's, okay. so, there's so many churches. There's a church on every corner. There's more churches out here than Starbucks or Walgreens or CVSs. So at one point I felt like I knew a lot about evangelism, but now in my current environment, I feel like I'm going back to square one. So can you teach me something, you know, what would be your advice to someone trying to do evangelism in an environment where everyone kind of already acts like they're saved. Well, sure. Context matters for starters. When I came down now, keep in mind, I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, a city of 1.3 million people. And so a very hardworking, you know, business oriented university grounded city where evangelism is very like, Oh really? You know, like they're very cold to it. So I went from that down to North Carolina, first church I ever pastored at as a youth pastor. So I can identify entirely. And when I was in North Carolina, here's what I would say. And you can relate to this. The start of my ministry, I went in first as a youth pastor. I'm like, I'm going to go meet with the principals of the schools. Mm. Well, every principal was like, Oh, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, Oh, great. So, and I was like, that's strange. I got home and I thought, man, just every coach and every principal is a Christian. Yep. Why am I here, Lord? What's yep. the point? Everybody's saved already. But here's what I found out is that the ministry we, my wife and I did in North Carolina was we had to convince non-Christian people that thought they were Christians, that they were not Christians, then lead them to Christ. Right. It was so surreal. <laughs> so in doing that, it's just no different than going beyond the, are you a Christian mark? I mean, let's talk about the word Christian. First of all, the word Christian was only used. I'm not against the word. Of course, I'm a Christian, but it was only used three times in the in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. It literally means mini Christ. And it yep. was an insult that they gave. So first Peter four, I think it's I'm going to guess I'm not looking this up. I'm just guessing. So don't be upset if you're watching this, but I'm going to guess it's uh, chapter four, verse 17, we something have, like that. CGN actually has a clause with this show where if we mess up even one scripture <laughs> reference, I'm off the air. We're done. So we're done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say it's around verse 17 that they were suffering and first Peter writes to them because people were calling them mini Christs. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, I don't take the word, like the word Christian was an insult, right? Yeah. So it does someone have a relationship? relationship with Jesus? Are they walking with the Holy Spirit? So what does that mean? Don't take people at face value because they tell you you're a Christian. I've yep. led so many quote unquote Christians yep. back to Jesus or to Jesus for the first time. Just dig a little deeper. Yeah, hey, where are you at with God? Where are you at with the Lord? The Lord. Well, right. I told you I'm a Christian. So I'm associated with a church. I'm like, right. well, that's great. That doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah. Because there are so many people, it's cultural and it's traditional. And it's funny Especially because, yeah, well, yeah. I was just in Ireland a few years ago doing missionary work there. <laughs> and the yeah. thing with Ireland is, you know, I read, I read a, I read a secular news article in Ireland entitled, Is Religion Dead in Ireland? And it was talking about how so many people are going to the Catholic Mass to make grandma happy. Like, that's really the point of it is this is a mm -hmm. traditional cultural family thing. And I go yep. just to make my family happy. And that is so many people uh, out here in the Bible Belt, but also in Southern California. When I was a youth pastor, hey. there were so many kids there who were like, I don't really believe this, uh, but my Bro. parents make me go. So I'm, I'm a Christian. Bro. 
Yeah, I hear you. I want to encourage you that, uh, listen, if you are in the Bible Belt, to me, I love that area. I saw the greatest revival in, attached to my ministry in North Carolina, mm. in a town of 15,000 that had 126 churches. Wow. And everyone said they were a Christian. Why? Because once you exposed that they were doing the motion of church, everyone went to church, mm. but that they didn't have the relationship. Once you found out what the missing link was, now that's all I would say find the missing link, but the Holy Spirit does that for you. Mm. I mean, Paul, when he's on Mars Hill, he's he's finding the missing link. Oh yeah, you've got idols, but they're to an unknown God. Well, mm. I know who the God is. Well, so in North Carolina, it was, yeah, you say you're a Christian, but you don't have a link to God. So then you make the link, it's relationship with Jesus. So we mm. saw more people saved in that season of ministry per capita, if you will, yeah. than any other season because of that. So I would say that's exciting. That's great. And, and I also think, you know, there are many people out there where we would consider them you know, saved, going to heaven, they've got this saving faith in Jesus, but they haven't progressed to the point of disciple. And I, I do make a distinction sometimes between Christian and disciple because I think there can be a difference. I think that every Christian is called to be a disciple, but I don't know if every Christian necessarily is walking in that way because for so many, they've never progressed beyond just that that kind of baby faith and they haven't actually taken those adult steps. So that's where discipleship comes in is moving people to like, I have, I've gone from, I am somebody who I said a prayer and I base my entire worth and, and relationship with God on my church attendance to now, like I am somebody who lives for the message of King Jesus and his rule and his reign and kingdom and all that good stuff. Well, and let's talk about that for a second, because yeah. I actually have a theory on discipleship with evangelism. Yeah. I think it. evangelism is quite literally the most missed part of discipleship in the modern church. Mm. What do you mean? People mm. separate discipleship from evangelism as if they are not connected. So now you've got saved. Now we have to feed you up, fill you up, and make you a solid Christian. Hmm. Check your Bibles, church. As soon as people got saved, they went out and shared the gospel again. Hmm. They didn't necessarily have all the methodology, right? They asked the blind guy, hey, I will tell us about Jesus. Look, I don't know. All I know is I was blind. Now I see. Hmm. And so I can't encourage people enough. One of the missing links in why we have, I really believe, I'm not saying this is just the solution. If you're listening, please mm. understand. I know it's not just the solution, but it is one solution that gets missed. A lot of people are depressed. A lot of people are inward focused. A lot of people are self-focused. It's like, honestly, go share your faith mm. and you will grow and your perspective will come back and your joy will come back. Mm. Like you tell me, like what, after you've shared Jesus, you don't care that your tire blew up on the corner <laughs> and that your car is in a rough state because you just shared Jesus. If you've led someone to Christ, you could care less if all of a sudden somebody rear ends you. It is just uncanny mm. how much growth and perspective is attached to evangelism within a discipleship model. We can't separate it from it. That's actually something I wanted to ask you about specifically. So what you're talking about to me, it, it stirs up images of revival, right? So a lot of times, like I hear stories about revival throughout the history of the church. Like in our context, you and I, we are in the Calvary Chapel movement. So let's go back to like, you know, the 60s, Jesus people movement, sure. revival. 
one of the common things that I have heard stories and like legends of these revivals is people were getting saved and they were coming to Jesus and their lives were so transformed from the get go that they just, they're like, I have to tell somebody like, I am just, it's, it's like, Uh, it's like when somebody joins CrossFit or like becomes a vegan or gets into essential oils. (laughs) Like they're just like, I have to tell somebody. Hey, wait a minute. I'm into essential. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm really not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was worried for a second, but right? they're, they're so excited that they have to tell somebody it's like, there's this newness and this freshness. Yep, and here, sure. here's my struggle with it. I'm so far removed from that because I was a pastor's kid and I gotcha. never had that experience. You know what I mean? Like for me, it was like this slow burn of like, you know, I was a Christian at four years old and started out just doing it because my parents did it and then evolved into kind of like my own understanding of Jesus. And and now I consider myself a strong Christ follower, but there was never that initial burst of excitement. And did you have any rebellion? Do you mind me asking? My my rebellion was all internal, just private stuff. I never partied or did drugs. Like I was kind of that straight and narrow kid, you know, for, for me, like my biggest rebellion was my dad was really into sports and uh, ministry. And I wanted to go to LA and become uh, a film school director, producer guy. And I didn't really want anything to do with being a pastor when I was a kid. Gotcha. That was about it though. Like I, I, I mean, I was, <laughs> I know, right. I was always, and we're done. <laughs> I was always drawn to the ministry. I was always involved. Mm-hmm. I was doing puppet shows for kids ministry when I was in middle school, I was doing middle school ministry when I was in high school. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I've been in this bubble my whole life. And, and so for me, that has been actually a unique, I feel like because of who I am, God has put me in this position where I have consistently in my ministry ministered to people who grew up in the church and who were pastors, kids, youth group, church kids, whose parents have been in the church for generations. And and those have been my people. And I see the apathy and I see the struggle of like being this Christian Mm. and but what I'm saying is I have never really been in an environment where people are just getting saved and then freaking out and telling other people. And, and I, I've always longed for that. Like, I want to see that, but I, I, sure. I, I haven't seen yeah. it. And so for me, my, my question is, you know, do you think in our American post-Christian, post-modern culture, you know, can we see that again? Are we seeing that anywhere? People coming to the Lord, going crazy, just having to share it with somebody. That's that's not the world I live in, and that's not what I see on a regular basis. So, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I see. I think we see it in pockets. Hmm. I've seen it stronger in certain seasons. Hmm. There's two particular seasons in my own life where I would go. It was like that. It was like that in North Carolina when we were youth pastors. We started with eight kids. Hmm. I was a youth pastor, and, and it was just me, my wife, and eight kids. <laughs> and then by year three, there were 120, and we baptized 20 people. But wow. I mean, what numbers don't equate revival. Yeah. Anyone yeah. that was in that youth would say that was a mini revival mm. to baptize 20 plus kids yeah. in a swimming pool and then get in a U-Haul and drive five days across Canada and America back to Canada. Yeah. Was thank, the last thank you thing for we did. That. Well, the last thing we did was baptize 20 people mm. and that was revival. It was busting out. They were bringing their friends and their yeah. friends were either attaching to the youth or they were getting saved. Yep. So I think sometimes we think it has to be 17,000 to be revival. That's yes. a load of garbage. Oh, thank revival you. Thank happens you. <laughs> in pockets all over and yes. it's still happening. 
Five years ago, I ran a thing called Gravity Church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It was an outreach that I started doing stand-up comedy at the start. Then we went into apologetics. Then mm. I did a Jesus passage and an altar call that changed every time. Sometimes it was raise your hand. Sometimes come to the front. Mm. Sometimes stand where you are. But upwards of 50 young adults from the university, like mm. Muslim university students, were getting saved every night. And then just very quickly, the Lord closed it and was like, this is done. <laughs> And he did it in his own way. I was burning out and it was his way of saying, I'm done, but you're not listening. So I'm going to burn you out. You know, (laughs) like, or you'll burn yourself out. But God shut it down. And I look back with fondness and I go, it was busting all over that room. 50 people a night, you know, like, so that was an insane, but that's revival. And I think what we've done sometimes is said for revival to be revival has to be 30,000. And that really has done a disservice to revival, if you ask me. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm so thankful you said that because this is an idea that's been mulling in my brain a lot lately is the church. Like we're all the body of Christ. We're all one mm-hmm. body. And so revival is happening all over. It's <laughs> so many people are bent out of shape because they've got 20 people being ministered to. And they're like, I wish it was 50. I wish it was a hundred, but it's like, you are a part of the same body that is doing it all. It's him. It's his body. It's Mm -hmm. Christ's body doing it all over the world. Just because you're the pinky of the hand and the church down the road might be, you know, three other fingers and the thumb because they're bigger. You're the, it's the same hand doing the same thing. So I think that's so important. So many people, I always hear people talking about how they're longing for revival. And then I heard that growing up. And then when I was pastoring a youth group and only 20 to 40 people would come, I was bummed because I was just like, this doesn't, this isn't revival. I heard in the eighties and nineties, we had this many, a hundred people coming 200. Why isn't mine like that? And I was ignoring the revival that was happening in the hearts of the people right in front of me at times. Yeah. I think, I mean, look, you got some stuff happening in COVID. Some people on one side of the spectrum are going we're experiencing revival well okay so your church couldn't meet so you went to the beach and there's a bunch of you at the beach i don't know if that's revival only the lord knows but what i know that is consistent in revival is not the size of how many thousands showed up on a beach or in a park or at a service it's contagious excitement Hmm. that spreads so when I had eight kids and it wasn't till we had about 50 kids, all of a sudden it was like popcorn. Mm. So in that it was spreading and it was contagious and there was an expectation. Now, if you go back, ask any of the guys from the 1960s Jesus movement, they describe exactly those words, contagious expectation, excitement. Yeah. And they would get to church early. And that's what I had in that youth group setting. And that's what I had in gravity. But OK, mm. those doors are closed. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need a certain size to go. Yay. We we hit revival. Let's write a book. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, if I yep. see a contagious expectation, excitement. Now I'll tell you this, one of the books I'm working on right now, so I'm working on two books. One is called the missing evangelist. Mm. And it's like, we're missing it with the evangelist because we don't know what to do with them. And we're missing the role of the evangelist in the modern church. Because mm. if you want to know, I mean, it's a bit of a rabbit trail, but I would say, here's a big deal to me. When you look at the fivefold ministry of Ephesians, right? I've given you Or you look at the fivefold calling, right? I've given you pastor, teacher, apostle, um, prophet, evangelist, right? Okay, so we're quite comfortable with the modern church, and I am one, like the lead pastor that is the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the you know. Yeah. But uh, that's not what we see prescribed in the Bible. We see an evangelist, and I think that role is missing. So that's why we're not seeing more evangelists. you're, You're blowing my mind. I've said the same thing. I think it's crazy to me that churches, quite often, American churches have a senior pastor and then they've got a youth pastor, which I, I think is great as a former youth pastor, but you know, then they've sure, got, yeah, yeah. they've got a worship 
pastor. They've got an administrative pastor who is apparently like the, the pastor over making sure administrative stuff gets done. But, <laughs> but they don't have like, I'm going to counsel the budget. I'm going to pray for. You yeah, know? that's right. Like, Let's lay alert these yeah. numbers right now. I, I mean, we, we had guys on staff at Calvary Vista who did that role who were great and essential, I think. But we I'm just saying we have all these pastoral roles. I don't hardly ever hear of a church. I don't think I've ever actually within Calvary heard of a church that has a pastor of evangelism where their role so, is to specifically go out, make disciples, bring them into the, the church. So here's what I would say. This is a bit out there, but permit me, if you will, umbrella of grace. <laughs> but I would just say, like, here's why we're not seeing more evangelism and that it or sorry, more evangelism, but also more revival mm. is that we're missing the event in the modern context context, we are missing it with evangelists and evangelism because hmm. we've taken the fivefold teaching and we said, well, if we can find a pastor who teaches well, we've got two out of the five. Okay. Yeah. Now I would suggest to you, I have no problem saying that the, those letters are big and small, meaning what? Well, the big A apostles are no longer with us. The big A prophets are no longer with us. Hmm. And the Bible says that later in the New Testament, right. that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation. Now, how many times, if you're a construction worker and you're listening to this, let me ask you, <laughs> how many times do you lay down a, con- a foundation of a house? Just once. Hmm. So I don't think we have big A apostles and big P prophets, but that still leaves you shepherd, t- a pastor, teacher, which we usually combine into one pastor teacher because there's like a hyphen in the Greek right. and evangelist. So where's the evangelist? Yeah. Well, maybe we have one coming through the area. And so for me, you say, well, you know, are you bragging and saying you think you've had many revivals twice? No, I just think that an evangelist who sits in a pastor role like me <laughs> is, is, is probably more in a gifting oriented to yeah. see more outbursts of evangelism. It's not yeah. hard and it's not, it's not, you know, trying to make yourself look good. It's just obvious to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it seems like a no brainer. And it seems like such a, a beautiful pairing that could exist in churches where, because yeah. if you have a senior pastor doing the modern church role, a lot of times it's senior pastor slash CEO. So they're basically running sure. a church and a business, if that makes sense mm-hmm. of they've got a staff to manage. They've got multiple sermons they're doing on a monthly basis all, and they're, they're running things. They're counseling people. There's not a lot of time left over to go out and be strategic. And so often what right. happens more often than not is the role of the evangelist gets delegated to the people in the congregation. Yep. And it's like once a year, we'll do a sermon series on evangelism and hope everyone gets hyped up and go out and bring their friends. And a lot of pastors I talk to are frustrated because their, right. their people aren't inviting people. You know, there's not that multiplication happening. And so to me, my thought is if there was someone on staff who was specifically leading in that way constantly, just in the way the the teaching pastor is leading in the the teaching of scripture, which is is essential. If someone was constantly leading in that evangelistic way, I think we'd see incredible things happen. Let's talk evangelism during COVID. I think now more than ever before, it's harder to walk up to strangers on the street and start a conversation with them. That's just that's just my opinion. I I think it's because people aren't on the street from what I've seen, at least here in Oklahoma City. You know, before this happened, and of course, in Canada, we don't have streets. It's mostly (laughs) igloos, ice. Yeah. So, yeah, you guys, there's just rivers of maple syrup. You guys are 
Can You've I really do, got a fixation on that, bro. I'm off to bring my, you some. It's my only when Canada I'm in Oklahoma joke. Next. <laughs> I'm a dumb American who only has heard two jokes about Canada. It's this, Did you want to know something funny? My yeah. calling card when I go visit a church, like if somebody says, can you come do an outreach at our church? Mm-hmm. I always take maple syrup and I've never had anyone go, get that away from me. You know, it's That's just awesome. like they love it. Well, they just, they probably assume because you're bringing it and you're an authentic Canuck. It is, is it is it Canuck? Did I say that right? Sure. Yeah. Let's go with that. It's, I'm a mixed breed. I'm kind of British too but anyway there you go (laughs) anyway so yeah the people aren't on the street as much as they used to be and so for me like when i lived in california you know i'd go down to encinitas oceanside carlsbad tons of people out and about just ready to be walked up to right now it's really hard though because people want you to keep their distance you know six feet uh it's awkward everyone's wearing masks and so you know my thought is what do you think man what what is an evangelist to do in this moment of COVID, can you give us, you know, maybe three or four practical, tangible ways that the people listening to this who are like, hey, I, I want to be involved in the work of evangelism, but I have no idea how to do it right now. Can you give us a few methods? Sure. Yeah, let's try prayer, uh, burden, and then open your mouth. Let's start with prayer. Mm. When does the point of evangelism? So I'm in a restaurant the other day. I want to answer, when is the point of evangelism here? When, I in a restaurant the other day, and in that restaurant, I get talking to the waiter, and I open up, and I start sharing with him, and I invite him to church, and I share the gospel with him. So a great question to ask is, at what point was it evangelism? Was it mm-hmm. when I shared the gospel? Was it when I started inviting him to church? Was mm-hmm. it when I sat down in the restaurant? And the answer is, that's not the point of evangelism. That, that's not when the point of evangelism started. Here's when mm-hmm. it started. Mm-hmm. Write this down, people. Praying the armor of God in the morning. Because when I pray the armor of God each day, every morning, I start with, Lord, I put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Wherever I go, whatever I say, may your grace and your peace and the good news of Jesus come out through my lips. Now I'm going into the day, Aaron, Mm. believing Mm. God will give me opportunities. So the first place in evangelism is always prayer. And, uh, and when you check your Bibles in the book of Acts, you see prayer, then you see boldness, open their mouth, the gospel and Jesus. So you see that order. Prayer is the undergirding part of evangelism. So I'm expecting to share the gospel. Why do I say that? Because the, if I'm praying and I'm expecting, there's no face mask that's a barrier to the power of the Holy Spirit to bring you in contact with someone. So let's just deal Mm. with that. Whatever the earth might throw our way or the fallen world that we're in, Mm. it is literally no barrier to prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. The second thing I would say is burden. Like, okay, Aaron, is there a band you really dig? And if they came to town, you'd move heaven and earth to get to them? I'm just throwing that out. The Beatles. Okay. But half of them are dead. Yeah, it'd be difficult. Yeah, it'd be the... And it's the same for me. It's the Bee Gees and most of them are dead. But anyway, so. Do you, remember that, do, you, do you remember that song? Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? Mr. Brent, Mr. Jones, <laughs> do you know what it's like it's on like the outside? a song about no, I don't people know. dying in a, in, a, in a coal mine or something. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I think so. It's pretty harsh. But yeah, they're they're my favorite all-time band. I know that's crazy. I, I know I lost some followers right there, but that's you, okay. You've seen Jimmy Fallon do his Barry Gibb, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. Okay. If, but so here, hear my heart. If a band comes through town that you love, you're going to move heaven and earth to be there. And you'll get there early and you'll get seats. You'll pay for it. So what was it that moved you? 
it's the burden. It's that desire, if you will, mm-hmm. in an ungodly sense. It's yeah. that desire. If there's a sports team in town, a buddy calls you up, hey, man, get here in the next hour. I'll give you tickets. It's amazing what we will move mm-hmm. to get to these things. Yeah. So if you have a burden that comes through prayer for lost people, then you'll do whatever it takes. No mask is going to stay in the way. You'll you'll write cards. You'll write notes. Again, a lot of this stuff flows out of burden. I would say the last one is just open your mouth. Like nothing happens until you open your mouth. Yeah. And everything can happen once you do that. There's mm. no real bad evangelism. I mean, there's some stupid evangelism. First Peter talks about don't suffer for doing stupid things, <laughs> right? Like if you're like, oh, I was at the front. Of, I had a guy come up to me once, a young adult. He's like, Pastor Joel, I don't think evangelism is working for me. I said, why, bro? He goes, it just bombed the last time. I will tell me what happened. Well, I was at the front of Starbucks and I was sharing the gospel with the guy and people were getting frustrated. I'm like, people were in a line behind you. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, that's why. What are you doing sharing the gospel with a lineup of people behind you? That's just dumb. Now you're suffering for doing wrong, not right. Yeah. What you should have done is turned around to the five people and said, I'm buying your coffee this morning. This is on Jesus. And then thrown some invites their way. You know what I mean? That's good. Well, okay. Let me, let me ask you this. So, you know, you and I, we love evangelism. Yeah. I have, and maybe you can speak to this, maybe you've gone through similar experiences, but for me, I've gone through a shift where I've realized the struggle of the common Christian person, if that makes sense. I was going to say the common man, but I just mean the common Christian person. I was on a church staff. I had every opportunity in the world to go evangelize. I could at any point during my nine to five workday say, hey, Pastor Steve, can I go take the church van and a bunch of kids and go down to the beach for the whole day and hang out and preach the gospel? And he was like, heck yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Here's money for burritos. Like I, I was spoiled, if I'm honest. I was passionate about evangelism, constantly trying to get other people to evangelize. But since I've left my church job and now I am a missionary in Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. not sponsored by any church, not on staff uh, full time at any church, um, working three jobs, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's hard. It is really hard to, like, do evangelism and do your job and also have a family and be there for your wife. And I don't have kids yet, but how much harder is it for people in that position? So my question is, what would you say to the person who is like, I want to share the gospel, but I can't do what Aaron and Joel do. I I can't go and start these evangelism crusades. I can't take kids on the weekends to, you know, go down to the beach. Like, how do I do this practically? Should I feel bad? Should I feel guilty that I'm not leading someone to the Lord every week? What if I go through the whole year and I'm only able to convince one person to come to the Lord? You know, is that, is that a victory or am I not, am I not working hard enough? You know, like, I I don't know. I'm asking you the hard questions, Joel. So I I don't, so I don't have to give the answers to them. And I would like to take a caller, Billy Graham, to help me on this one. Wait a minute. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's a huge question, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not in a position to say, well, the answer definitively is, but here's my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. Evangelism is not an event or an activity. Mm -hmm. Just you can do an event that is including evangelism. You should. If you're a pastor, you should. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, nobody crusade evangelism doesn't work where you have a stage and a preacher and a lot of people. That's not true. Mm. You know, well, we don't know those people that raise their hand if they're saved or not. I heard a podcast recently from some guys who are supposed to be experts on this. It was (laughs) awful. I just have to say they're like, oh, yeah, crusade evangelism is bad because none of those people are actually saved. Well, who are you? How do you know if they're saved or not? You don't know the heart of man. Guess what? My mom got saved at 
a Billy Graham crusade and people I know, and, and we've had lots of people get saved through crusade evangelism. So that can happen at an event, but here's my point. Specifically evangelism is not limited to events and activities. It's about overflow Mm. from your life Mm. and you can calm down. If God's going to get Philip to an Ethiopian, he's going to get you to the people you need to share the gospel with. I used to freak out as a young evangelist. Oh my goodness. I didn't leave enough, lead enough people to Christ today. What if I miss someone (laughs) today? They're going to hell. And you know, like I was just so burdened by that. Right. Yeah. Like I could have missed that. What if that guy on the bus, I mean, you could freak out if you really want to do that. Right. You could freak out and be like, well, that other guy on the, I was sharing the gospel with this guy, but I didn't share with the guy on the end there. Was he less important? So I don't think God works like that. I think blood on my hands. yeah, Yeah. Right. And I think the reality is take out of your mind this idea that evangelism is only an event, a crusade or a activity. It can be in those things. But the reality is for most of us, it's the overflow of living our lives. And when you pray and you get up and you're praying the arm of God, you are also praying the shield of faith. So you are praying in faith. God, present people to me today. You'll mm. see far more opportunities come. Amen. Then when the opportunity comes, listen to the leading of the Holy Holy Spirit, yeah. open your mouth and let the spirit go. And yeah, yeah, certainly I think you want to start naturally. Don't so many, oh, I have to do a lot of like work helping people get out of their mind. The last Christian that really went weird on them. Like, mm. you know, questions like, have you ever been washed in the blood of the lamb? Like, <laughs> don't talk like that, guys. Get get these Christianese okay. out of your mind, S- right? S- side note, I actually, you would actually be a great guy for this. I think we should do a podcast uh, mini series together for the show called Christianity is it. Weird, where we talk yeah. about all of the weird, like if you're, if you're a non-Christian and you walk into a church building and people are singing about being washed in the blood of the lamb, yeah. it's like, yeah. I would leave. And I'd that be like, this is Bro. This is a cult. Like, what is this? That, yeah. You know, and that one son, bro, I just have to say, and there's pain in the offering. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. You know that line? Right. I forget what song it's from, but they're like, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. I'm like, I just picture guys with the giving plates, just really <laughs> struggling under the strain of the giving plates. Okay. So I don't, people like I have non-Christians say, what's that line? There's pain in the offering. You know, like, should I not give? Cause it hurts my hand. <laughs> Or is there something we don't know? Like we have oh, to think man. through. I told a Christian worship leader once that if he's going to do an outreach, he should take away this whole, like he got on the floor and he was like, let's just, let's just come to the lamb today. We want to, we want to surrender. We want to be, you know, here with the lamb. And he's like on the ground in a weird position. And I'm like, like a non-Christian comes in and you're talking about a lamb. You just got to think about it. Right. Yeah. And we don't want to be close to the lamb. Like, it's like, okay, we know what it means. It's special and dear to us. I'm not yeah. being un- sacred here. Right. What I'm saying is, is when you talk to non-Christians, do what Jesus did. When right. he talked to the woman of the well, guess what he talked about? Water. Yeah. When he talked to the fishermen, guess what he talked about? Fish. Yeah. So why is it when we start talking to people, we think we got to be like, and now let's talk about the nuances yes. of the theological disposition. You know, yeah. like it's no, just I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the simple gospel is so key. Yeah. So yeah. when I was doing evangelism with my students, the methodology I came up with, I wasn't trying to come, come up with my own system, but I was just, just down everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Here is the way it must be done. <laughs> um, no, but 
uh, I was like, how can we condense the gospel story down to three just very simple things? And so I was thinking, you know, sickness, cure, and then like, what yeah. are you going to do with it? So like, talk about sin, talk yeah. about evil, yeah. talk about the destruction of the world and all that good stuff. And then talk about Jesus and what he did and how he overcame it and what, what he's bringing with his kingdom. And then you got to say, so what are you going to do about this? So I remember one time I was down in Encinitas with my youth group kids. We went over to this cliff and we're praying. We're looking at the water. It's this epic moment. We're getting ready to go out and preach the gospel. And this surfer walks up and he's like, hey, guys, what are you guys doing out here? And I'm the, le- I'm the leader of this group of high school kids. And I turn around and I'm like, we're just hanging. And he's like, rad. And then he leaves. And I'm just, all my kids are looking at me like, you idiot. Yeah, What's wrong? Like, you just told us about evangelism. Like, you're supposed <laughs> yeah, to yeah. boldly proclaim and you just told that guy to leave basically. So, But let's talk about that because there are awkward times, guys. I want to say this as right. somebody that is passionate about sharing the gospel wherever, whenever I can. Guess what? There's sometimes where it's just awkward. Right. Like I wouldn't even take that scenario and be like, Aaron, how come you didn't turn around and lead him through sickness and, and salvation? Like the point is that might have been really awkward. You can go right. to the guy one-on-one, but if you turn that into a lesson, you're like, I'm not going to miss the moment. Like sometimes right. I'll hear evangelists try to tell you that every flight I'm on is an opportunity. <laughs> no, you know what? I've seen those guys. I've traveled with them. Sometimes a flight is an opportunity for you to watch a movie or get a nap. Like, let's be real. Yeah, when I'm on a yeah. flight, sometimes I don't want to talk to the guy. I'm tired. So oh, especially if you're in a middle God. seat. Thank you. Thank you. So right? I, yes, I've led people to the Lord on flights and had some really amazing yep. stories. Yep. I'm thinking of a guy right now, a farmer who was just so done with God and who I, by the way, if you want a pointer, here's a pointer. I always tell people, take away their nose, not (laughs) N-O-S-E, but just N-O. Everybody has Uh, nose against the gospel, God, and church. I I tell people. I thought you literally meant like, do the like, I got your nose thing. I got your nose. (laughs) No. That's your great evangelism secret? Take their nose? That's the tip, people. No, but you know, everybody has these things that they're like, here, no, you know, this guy started off as farmer on a flight. And, and he was like, well, you know, the problem with Christians is this, this, and this. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That happens a mm, lot. Well, yeah. yeah, but churches are like this. And I'm like, yep, I would agree. And he's like, well, I got burnt by a Christian. And oh, that's mm, awful. Yeah. By the end, once you take away the person's nose, they're much more open. Mm. And then I said, okay, don't put your faith in people. Christians, but what about Christ? Let's talk about Jesus. Boom, 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 boom. Can you see any reason why you shouldn't get saved? Hmm. No, I need to get saved. And he got saved. (laughs) But here's the deal. You take away somebody's nose is a big deal. Get rid of the negative things that they, because we always fight. Nobody, listen, church, nobody's ever got saved arguing. Nobody gets up at a baptism and goes, share your story. Well, I was in this massive fight with a Christian and then I just (laughs) broke and I found the Lord. No, no. So stop fighting with people. Start finding common ground. Ask them questions about them. Get to know them. That's and take that's away important. the nose and then yeah. switch it to the Lord. Because I yeah. truly believe that God has these things for people. That that fighting aspect of it's really important. I want to come back to that later. Um, just going back to the 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 surfer story. So there's redempt. There's a redemptive arc to the story, basically. So I failed, <laughs> right? And, but this is what we're talking about. It's the Holy Spirit, right? It's him doing the work. It's not us. So I believe that if we miss opportunities, he's got second chances right around the corner. If we'll just step into them. So I love that. Yes. No, this is so dude, it's so the Lord. So I, my kids are like, you're an idiot. I'm like, I know. So we, we, we break up into groups and I'm with one girl, two guys. 
And we, I'm like, I, I say to the kids, okay, kids, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit and I want him to direct you about who we're going to go talk to. Don't let me as the pastor do it. Like you guys talk to the spirit and what does he tell you? You know, I want to involve cool. them in the process. And so yeah, I'm like, yeah. what do you guys think? And we take a minute to pray. And then this girl named Lexi, who was kind of sassy, just this adorable little sassy kid named Lexi looks up at me and um, I'm like, who do you think we should talk to? And Lexi goes, probably those surfers over there that you blew it with earlier. So <laughs> she, she found the <laughs> surfer. So I went over and I was yeah, like, Hey, yeah. like, so I said, we were just hanging out, but let me tell you why we're really here. And we just gave him the really simple gospel, right? Just problem solution. What are you going to do about it? Sickness cure. What are you going to do? Just told him about Jesus straight up. Oh, you know what? The way we started, this is our, this is our evangelistic. This is my youth group method because I agree with what you're saying, Joel, things are awkward. And so how do you make things, how do you, how do you, what do you do about the awkwardness? I just say, embrace it. Just embrace that. It's going to be awkward. So we would walk up to people and be like, Hey, have you guys heard the good news? And when people hear that, they're like, what's the good news? Like, is there free burritos? Like what's going on? (laughs) So we're just like, Hey, have you heard the good news? And they're like, Oh, what's that? And then we just straight up tell them the good news about Jesus. And so we're going through it. And then I almost walked away with the group after the first two. I told them about the problem of sin, told them about Jesus. And then I almost walked away and I felt like God was like, you guys need to seal the deal. Give them a chance to respond to the gospel. And so I'm just like, all right, guys, you've heard the good news. Do you want to receive it? Do you, do you want to like understand? Do you, you want to bring Jesus into your life? Do you want him to be your Lord? And the surfers kind of pause and then they kind of look at one another and they're like, yeah, yeah, bro. Yeah. Yes. And like, <laughs> they're, they're like blonde hairs flopping and they're, they're like, yeah, let's get saved right now, bro. And That's then awesome, man. That's this guy, awesome. another surfer who was in one of those old vans, he gets out of his van and walks over and he's like, uh, I was just eavesdropping and I would like to get saved too, if that's okay. <laughs> and so, yeah. And you're like, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he was like, um, oh, he's like, I'm, I'm shirtless. Is that appropriate? Like, do you have to be wearing a shirt? I'm like, dude, no, like let's pray. Love and it, man. It was, dude, it was adorable because we're praying with these surfers and we're going through like, I don't have a sinner's prayer. Like I just make it up every time it's new. It's always kind of, you know, it's, it I don't have like a standard. Prayer, I'm the same. Yeah. We're just going through I'm it, praying. And at the, you know, I'm like, you know, Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. And then I'm like, in your name, amen. And this one surfer's like, Devin, amen. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> I love it. He signed his name <laughs> onto the end of the yeah. prayer. So that's great. I know. I had a similar situation when leading my wife to the Lord. She said that too. Devin? <laughs> she, no, not Devin. <laughs> but when she closed in prayer, because she, she'd never prayed, yeah. rather than saying, you know, I was like, repeat after me. And I was like, she, it, for her, it was like hanging up a phone call. Yeah. She's like, okay, bye. Signing that's off. That's what she said. Yeah, I was like, Talk to or you later, amen. God. But I'm like, why am I correcting her? <laughs> we should end every prayer like that. Talk to you later, God. You know? Yeah, totally. Call me later. Joel, as, as we wrap this up, I want to talk sure. to you a little bit about comedy because I, I don't have a lot of opportunities to talk to comedians. So 
you're a stand-up comedian. Can I find your material anywhere? Like, is there a cassette tape in somebody's basement? Do you have like wow. an album wow. on it's Spotify an or anything or, you know? No, you know what? It's really funny. I was in a, I was in an Indian curry place last night. Hmm. I got asked the same question. The guy was like, oh, this is so much fun. Where can I watch your material? But I've really stayed away from, because I got saved out of the world of comedy and went into evangelism, pastoring, yeah. itinerant evangelism evangelism preaching yep so you can find my comedy on conference stuff i've done yep. at certain places like if you google joel turner and calvary chapel south bay i do a little bit of comedy out of five ways to love your spouse you know but beyond that i've tried to stay away from that there's some clips out there that have gone around but well, no it, i don't promote the comedy i just do it as part of my evangelism now. yeah it, it seems like it's a natural part of who you are so even though you've left that world behind it comes with you in the sense that it probably shows up in a lot of your preaching i mean even in this sure. podcast it's i mean your, yeah. your humor is great dude so Sure. Yeah, I would yeah. say like the best way to get a hold of anything comedy I've done is, yeah, shameless book plug. But I just wrote a book called Humor Me. And honestly, it's my burden to 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 sort of help people see how humor is a part of God's glory. And and, it, and we can all grow in it for various reasons, especially at the end of the book, evangelism. So that's, that's probably the best way to get my material. Is there an audio book version of that? No. Well, we're coming out in stages. So there's an okay. audio book coming out, I think in the next three months, but nice. it's on amazon.com. If you're in Canada, amazon.ca or on Kindle in the UK. And it's just called humor me spelt the American way. And I offended all my British friends. <laughs> that's great. Well, okay. <laughs> so, so I have a specific question about standup yeah. comedy. This is something I've thought about it. over the years. I love stand-up, always have. My love for it has only grown over the years. I think my favorite stand-up comedian right now is a guy who's kind of obscure named Paul F. Tompkins. I don't know if you've ever heard of okay. him. No, never. There's he's, so many. He's great. Oh, I know. They're everywhere. So here's my thoughts. I'd love here's to one. get your thoughts yeah. on this. I feel mm -hmm. like being a comedian in today's age, it's got to be one of the hardest times for a comedian or somebody in the entertainment business to become a Christian. Like, I feel like it's hard for actors, but even harder for comedians. And like, my reasoning is, you know, even though I love comedians, they don't seem to love me. And what I mean by that is, you know, most comedians that I hear don't think too fondly about the church. They're in that crowd of people who are skeptical about religion, people who point out the flaws in organized religion, which is their job, you know, as comedians to poke fun and point sure. out flaws in religion. Like, are you familiar with the concept in comedy? I'm, I'm sure you are of uh, punching up and punching down. Maybe not in those terms, but it's, what it's, do you mean? It's basically the idea that if you want to be a successful comedian, you need to position yourself uh, as someone who's punching up. And so you want to be making jokes from the perspective of the little people and, and you're, you're poking fun at institutions and people in power. If you're somebody okay, who's in, so yeah, go ahead. If you're somebody who's in power and you're mocking and making fun of the people who are less fortunate than you, that's called punching down. And that's what bullies do. So a lot of comedians uh, yeah. position themselves to basically kind of stick up for, you know, victims of like racial injustice or, you know, poor people or just you know, somebody who's somebody who's marginalized. And those jokes tend to go over very well with today's audiences. So I deal with comedy theory in the book, mm -hmm. and it, it seems like a modern version of a term that we grew up with in the comedy world called high low status, okay. which is that comedians, when they start out in their career, they usually pick 
to lower the status of people or higher or lower their own status. Right. So and so I talk about it in the book in those terms, but it sounds like a modern rendition of that. Thanks. I just wrote a book and I didn't include that. Now I feel like it's already dated. <laughs> oh, but man. anyway, it's the same concept. You must you have to choose. You're going to lower people's status. You right. know, that's where you're lowering institutions, things like that, bringing them down. So it's right. the same concept. Yes. Totally. So so a lot of comedians take the position of someone who's punching up against Christianity because Christianity sure. is considered the established kind of normative religion in America and most of the West. To a lot of people, yeah. they view Christianity as oppressive. You know, they like they want to take your fun away because they say it's sinful. They want to tell you you're yeah. going to hell for being who you are. So, yeah, they punch up against religion. But there's another layer of it, too, because, you know, most of these comedians are usually left wing and Christianity to most secular left wing folk is seen mm-hmm. as being wrapped up and in package deal with right wing politics a lot of times. So especially in the age of Trump, we see comedians especially basically looking at Trump and Republicans and Christians as their enemies all wrapped together. It's all lumped together in their minds. So anyway, this is a long question, but I, I just feel like it would be so hard for a modern comedian to come to Jesus. I don't think I've ever heard in my lifetime of any of the comedians that I see on like Comedy Central or Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. or college humor or, you know, just for laughs up in Canada. None of those, I I can't imagine any of those people coming to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So what do you think as somebody who was a comedian who did come to Jesus? Is the question, can the modern comic get saved as easily as the older comic? I guess. I mean, what you're asking? Like, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I mean, if you're like, let's say you're a a big comedian, you know, some or somebody who plays clubs. Yeah. I'm trying to lose weight, but I get it. Yeah. (laughs) You've got. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. Famous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've got clips all over YouTube. You as a comedian, you build your self image on this persona you craft about your opinions and and humor about life. You've got all these things you're saying. So to become a Christian, it's like you would it would be almost career suicide because you'd have to basically go against all of these things that you've been saying your whole career. So I just think it's 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 like the whole, you know, Jesus saying for a rich man to pass through the eye of a camel, you know, is, you know, I, I forgot what that verse is. I get is. what you're saying. Yeah. So I would I would say a few things. First yeah. off, at the start of my book, I talk a little bit like about uh, how atheists have stolen humor from us <laughs> and we need to get it back. You okay. know, in a sense, the Rick, the Ricky Gervais, the Penn and Teller, people speaking down against Christianity. It's in the start of the book. It's in the intro of the book. Hmm. And actually also Andy Bannister, who writes the forward for the book he talks about it too he's from Ravi Zacharias team Mm. so in that concept in a sense it's kind of a mocked topic Christianity is what you're saying and so does that make it harder for these people I don't think so I think there's two things I would say to that like first off you know we know that you know why does the road to destruction narrows the path of those who will choose Jesus so it in a sense there is a numbers game in this like not many wise not many God's chosen the foolish things of the world right so, but it's like saying, like, if a thousand comedians, you know, get exposed to the gospel, you know, only 15 of them will get saved. Well, that's okay. Those are the same numbers as anyone else. That's so true. I don't really, I don't really equate that with that at all. Like, because I look at Christian friends and people, Christian comedians that I have that are friends mm-hmm. in the world of comedy, they got saved like I got saved. You know, Michael Jr. got saved and, and people like Brad Stein and I don't oh, yeah. really know put, about put a helmet on yeah right (laughs) another guy that came out of modern comedy and got saved and so that's my story i'm less famous praise god but you know i'm just saying yeah like and so the comedians that came to christ under my kind of 
comedy club. Well, (laughs) anyone that is a comedian knows that we all have some things in common. We all got angry fathers. And uh, so that means a lot of us are insecure and we're Mm -hmm. acting up. And so it's like anything when you share the gospel, if you know that it's like, (laughs) once you get to sin with a comedian, he's either going to fight you and use, because they're pretty smart guys. They're going to use, you know, their brilliant change of turn of tongue and, you know, all this to confound you, but they're still broken men. It's Mm -hmm. still broken people, you know? Mm So that's all I would say is people are people. Yeah, matter. that's that's encouraging. And and I had this question prepared towards the end of the interview. That's why when I heard <laughs> your story at the beginning, my mind was blown because I'm like, man, this is the question. Like, can a comedian come uh, to the Lord? It, it's so encouraging. You're, you're like the anti Pete Holmes. Are you familiar with Pete Holmes? You know, I've heard that name. Who is Pete Holmes? I've got to update your your modern uh, comedy register. But but yeah, Pete's he's a guy who he's this big comedian, successful comedian, successful podcast host. But he actually started okay. out growing up in the Christian bubble, wanted to become a youth pastor. That was his dream. And then his yeah, wife, yeah. his wife cheats on him and his world falls apart. He's actually got an HBO show called Crashing. That's all about this deconversion from Christianity to mm-hmm. the world of secular comedy. So it's, gotcha. it's one of those things where in our current culture, I feel like people celebrate deconversion. They love the story of someone who was a Christian and then they came to I the like light. Yeah. And- yeah. Sure. They love those stories, but the, the story of someone finding God is becoming much more like looked down upon. So I think, well, look, I mean, yeah. I want to say, I want to say, look, I still watch a fair amount of comedy. Number one, I never remember the names, just to be honest. <laughs> I don't know if it's like post 40. People are like, once you turn 40, your body starts falling apart. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. It's not a magic number. And then I turn 40 and it is a magic number <laughs> and your body does fall apart. So and the first thing to go is my memory. I honestly can't remember half the names and the hard part. Yeah. Here's the second thing. Second thing is I'm not just an evangelist or not just a comedian. I'm an evangelist and a pastor. Mm. So I found the two things about that. One, whatever I approve or say, I approve for everyone. Mm. And it's not always good because I have a terrible memory circle back <laughs> around an earlier quote. Yep. So the second thing, you know, when I quote a movie, people are like, did you know that scene in the movie where the guy, I'm like, oh, okay, I forgot that. Sorry. <laughs> you know, so I try not to do that. Yeah. And then the other one is, bro, just how much you fill your head with. I like, I just have to, you know, just limit the amount. I, yep. I do still watch comedy, but when I'm traveling around, if I do comedy, people inevitably come up afterwards like if i'm in the uk and doing a show or something like that someone will be like oh my goodness you know <laughs> tim hawkins michael jr do you know anyone else oh, tim not hawkins. in the christian world and i always tell people check out brian regan 52 minutes on youtube it's free Dude, he's wearing he's an orange great. shirt it's the best 52 minutes of clean yeah. comedy you'll find on youtube that's just me i think from a comedian pure comic standpoint if you put 10 true comedians in a room like there's expressionists in comedy but yeah. i don't actually go deep into comedy in the book because that's not the point of it it's the right. evangelist well, but in the yeah. book the middle section's about comedy but if you put 10 comedians in, in a room and they had clipboards and we judged on things that we know <laughs> from the comedy world brian regan scores really high his physicality is great his levels what we call levels are great that's great his timing is great his facial's great his so brian regan's sort yeah of the I, bomb for I, I get really strong jim carrey vibes from brian regan but like he puts yeah. his fresh spin in it and it's like 
millennials like me, like we're, we're so, we, we have such a radar for things that we think are cheesy. You know, <laughs> yeah. a lot of Christian comedies can ten, tend to be cheesy. I'm sure, you know. Well, yeah. Big time. Right after I got saved, everybody was like, Mark Lowry. Have you heard of Mark Lowry? Oh, You're a comedian. Mark, you gosh. should be doing stuff with Mark Lowry. Yeah. Well, listen, no diss on Mark. God bless him wherever he is. But when I first watched his routine, I thought, well, I guess I'm done with comedy. Because yeah. I just, it's so not me <laughs> right. to sing no, totally. with the gathers right after. Oh my you know? gosh. No, so yeah, I agree. Uh, Brian Regan is hilarious without being cheesy. He's clean without being cheesy. And to me, that... Yeah. That is a rare breed in today. So I guess this entire podcast has all been one big buildup to sing the praises of Brian Regan. So why not? Why not? not? He's a good guy. He's a good guy. So Joel, Lord, (laughs) dude, thanks for being here. I know you got to go. Thanks for your time. And thank you so much for uh, the encouragement about evangelism and sharing your heart. And we definitely want to get you on this show again soon. So yep, dude, I would love to come back. I just feel like we're scratching up the surface. So this will be fun, man. It's for so sure. fun to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to all your, your listeners. And truly, truly, I want to encourage everybody if I can, Aaron, just to get out there, open your mouth, led by the Holy spirit and lift up Jesus. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. It's not your job. Mm. It's your job to be faithful, to listen, to open your mouth and watch Jesus as you lift them up, Amen. save lives. Amen. Can you, can you tell us really quick where we can find more about you and where we can find your book? Sure. The book is on amazon.com. If you just put in Joel J-O-E-L, Turner T-U-R-N-E-R into amazon.com, it will pull down and you'll see Humor Me, H-U-M-O-R, the American spelling because the publishers are American. And, uh, and so Humor Me is the best way to learn probably more about me. It just came out four weeks ago. So it's a fresh thing for me. And uh, yeah, my life story is in there. The story about getting saved, how I met my wife. Pointers on comedy, pointers on evangelism. So that's the best way. Otherwise, mountainspringcc.com. It's our church website. Uh, I'm also on the executive team with Calvary Global Network. And so you can get through calvarychapel.com and CGN. And that's an amazing privilege to be a part of that amazing team of guys. So Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io slash support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 